Today I want to start just a short two-part series called The Church Family. And I want us to evaluate and look at what the church family is, what it's meant to be, what it biblically is supposed to be. And when I say the church family, I'm talking about the local body of believers. As you look around, those in our 930 service and our 11 service, you look around, you see the faces of people that you love, you fellowship with, you serve with. This is your church family, and your church family is so important. So the title of my sermon today is A Family to Lean On. A family to lean on. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles out, turn to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. 1 through 5. Give you just a moment to turn there. And then once you've found your place, if you will stand to your feet as we honor God's word. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1 of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, carrying one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful, God, uh, that you inspired Paul by the Holy Spirit to write these words as they are uh, food, they're bread of life, Lord. They, they, they keep us going. They give us nutrition, Lord, as we take this spiritual journey. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would help us to properly Uh, evaluate ourselves, to allow you access, God, to evaluate us, even in those areas that we're not comfortable with you looking at, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts to you this morning and allow you to speak into our hearts. Lord, if there's any repentance that needs to happen this morning, we pray that it would. God, if there's any broken relationships within our church family this morning, I pray that you would restore those today. And Lord, I pray if there be anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would give them uh, the understanding, the knowledge, Lord, to accept you today as their Savior. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So it's no secret that good parents want what's best for their children. That goes for aunts and uncles, for their nieces and nephews as well. We want what's best for our children. But part of what is wanting what's best is providing a happy and a healthy home life for our children. You can speak to educators, you can speak to social workers, you can speak to anyone in our society that deals with the family unit, and you'll find that children who grow up in chaotic home lives, home lives that are uh, dangerous, home lives that are disturbing, home lives that overall are just bad environments for a child to live in, those children don't perform as well in school. Those children don't achieve Uh, a bit their tasks. They don't reach their full potential in many ways because they don't have a healthy and a happy home life. That's really the launching pad for our society and for our children. And I want us today to look at the church as really a larger version of the family unit. In other words, we have the family unit, a mom, a dad, and their children, but then we also have the church family where we have many people coming together And the key to having a church family that you can lean on, and that's the title of my sermon, a church family that you can lean on, in order to have that healthy church family, we have to be a church 
that provides a place for people to come to, that provides a place and a strong place for people to come to share their burdens, a place where they can come in times of need, a place that they can come to for support. Just like a child in their home life, if they don't have a mom and a dad that they can lean on, they're going to struggle. They're going to find someone to lean on. may not be someone that they should be leaning on, but they will find someone. God created us all to be with others. God did not create human beings to be in isolation. He didn't create human beings to do this life by ourselves. We just weren't made that way. And whenever people try to do that, it creates something that's very unhealthy. So in the same way, the church family must be a healthy family, a family that provides a healthy home life for those who are members of our church family. We need to be a strong enough church that we can help support those who are struggling and help support those who are in need. So when we think about being a church member, I think it's important that we understand what it means to be a church member. Now, you've always heard preachers say, and a lot of times we roll our eyes when preachers say this, you can't just sit on the pew. You got to get up and you got to serve. Well, I know we get tired of hearing that, but it's true. Being a church member, you have benefits of being a church member, but you also have responsibilities of being a church member. And to enjoy those benefits, you also need to accept the responsibilities that are laid before you. There's an old, there's an old study, or really an old uh, ratio, really, is what it is. It says that 20% of the church does 80% of the work. And I will tell you as a pastor, and being in ministry for several years, that's a very true statement. That if it weren't for that 20% that pulls the weight in our church, you wouldn't have a worship service to come to. Because I think a lot of times we think, well, Ben... You study, as long as you got your sermon good, we're good. You don't understand how much more goes into making this happen on a weekly basis. We have a room full of people that you can't see right now on computers. They're running joysticks for our cameras. They're moving the slides for us. We've got people in our sound booth running sound. When Daniel does worship, he's got several musicians up here that are rehearsing all week. They're having to plan. They're having to communicate throughout the week. I mean, it is a lot of moving parts. And if it weren't for those folks, we wouldn't have what we have on Sunday morning. So my encouragement to you is, is if we're going to be a church, we're going to be a family that is strong enough for people to lean on, strong enough for you to lean on when you are in your most difficult places in life, then we all need to step up and we need to make this family stronger. We need to step up and we need to pull our weight. We need to step up and say, God... What have you called me to do? Because listen, if you're a Christian and you're not serving in ministry somewhere, you're living in sin. Now let me be very clear about that. Because God does not call you and he does not save you just so you can ride on the coattails of others. He saves you so that you can do a mighty work for the kingdom. Now listen, there's some of you in here you can do other things far better than I can. I can get up here and I can run my mouth. I'm pretty good at that. And Hannah would say amen, okay? But there's some of you that are really good at doing counseling. There's some of you who are really good at planning. There's some of you who are really good at welcoming and greeting people. There's some of you who are really good at teaching. God has gifted every single one of you in a particular way to do a particular work for him. And if you're not using the church as an outlet in which to utilize that gift that God has given you, you really need to spend time in prayer and say, God, I'm ready. 
I'm open. Hey, where do you want me to serve, Lord? And I'll go and serve. And I'm telling you that if we could have a church congregation and a church family who would get on the same page when it comes to serving and allowing God to use us in church life, we can be a stronger church. We can be that family that is strong enough that when people do come in, they'll have some people to lean on. They'll have some people to serve with. Because when only 20% are doing it, listen, it gets hard for that 20%. They want to serve and they want to do right, but there's times where it just gets hard, where they get stretched thin. There's times when people are saying, you know, we don't have enough people working with our children. What do you mean we don't have enough people working with our children? We, we just can't find anybody. Hey, listen, if you're a student of God's Word, you're going to find that one of the most wonderful privileges that God has given us is the ability to pour into the next generation. In other words, your legacy can live on through other people because we all have an expiration date. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So if we have children in our church who are not being taught because we can't find help, hey, listen, there's someone out here that God's calling you to do that job, and you're telling him no. And you need to get right with God this morning. We need to be a church that says, all right, Lord, I'm here. I'm open. Put me where you want me to put you. And until we have a congregation who's on the same page with that, until we have people who understand what Christianity is, that it's not about just, okay, I'm saved, I'm, I'm not going to hell now, but it's a whole life of living and serving Christ even after salvation, then we're not going to be the church. We're not going to reach the full potential that God's called us to reach. I mean, we're talking about a community in Candler, North Carolina of 27,000 people. Now, if we want to make it a big impact in this community, we need more than 20%. We need more than 50%. Hey, we need everybody to get on board and say, sign me up. You need me to share the gospel with children on Sunday? Sign me up. You need me to greet people, newcomers, when they come in on Sunday mornings? Sign me up. Hey, listen, if everybody does something and everybody fulfills their calling that God has brought them to, hey, this church will be a stronger fellowship. So today I want us to see that. I want us to see that we want to be a family to lean on. We want to be a strong church that when God does send people here, and I know that he will and that he is and that he will continue to do that, we want to be ready. We want to be a church that's healthy enough to say, all right, world, we know you're burdened. We know you're, you're weighed down with sin. We know that you're weighed down with depression and anxiety. We know that you're weighed down with the struggles of life. Pole Creek is going to be a hospital for you. We're going to be a hospital for sinners. We're going to be a hospital for those struggling. And guess what? We're healthy enough to take it on. We're healthy enough to minister to you, and we are ready for you. But until we get to that point, we're going to struggle ministering to our community. We've got to be a church that's all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about that, as we think about what we're going to do in our community, the first thing that we need to do is, is we need to make sure that we're internally healthy. Before we can minister to the world, we've got to make sure we're healthy. We've got to make sure that we can sustain that. We've got to make sure that we know how to deal with sinfulness in the church. We need to make sure that we know how to deal with criticism in the church. We need to make sure that we know how to deal with conflict in the church. We've got to be a people who have thick skin, but also a people who biblically know how to handle the difficult situations that are going to inevitably come our way. You know, I can't tell you how many people don't go to church anymore because someone hurt their feelings at church. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you, it's happened to me. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. If you go to church long enough, somebody will hurt your feelings. I, I promise you. And I'm not happy about that. I'm not excited about that. 
but I just want to be truthful with you that it will happen. And what you have to do is you have to come to a place in your life beforehand, knowing that it's inevitable, saying, when it happens or when it comes, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm not going to go to church for so-and-so, for this person or that person. I'm going to church for Jesus. And anybody else, they can say what they want, you know, look at me how they want, whatever it may be, but I'm going for him. And I'm telling you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll be able to stay faithful to God's house. If you keep your eyes on others, I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before you burn out, you fall out, and you leave. And we don't want that. We want people to be long-term, faithful church members because not only is it good for Pole Creek, but it's good for you. Because there's going to come a day where you need a family to lean on. There's going to come a day when you're going to cross a difficult path in your life. You're going to have to make a difficult decision. You're going to get some really bad news, and you're going to need a church family to lean on. And praise God, Pole Creek wants to be that church. Amen. So as we think about this, and as we look at internally becoming strong enough to reach our community, I want us to see two different truths here in this scripture about how we can be a family that others can lean on. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. We must focus on restoration. We must focus on restoration. And you saw that in the first two verses there in chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, what? Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens in this way, and you will fulfill the law of Christ. How many of you in here have ever broken a bone before? Raise your hand. Broken a bone. That's a lot of people. A lot of broken bones, huh? Well, here's one thing that they have to do with a broken bone. Of course, the initial pain of breaking a bone is pretty bad, but what about when they have to set the bone? Does that hurt? Any of you experienced that? Now, if it hurts so bad, why in the world do they want to do that? Why do they want to just put you through more pain just for no reason? Well, we obviously know it's for a very important reason. That if that bone is not set and it grows back crooked, you're going to have a lot of problems going forward. So it has to be set so that it can repair itself and it can grow back properly. Well, in the same way in church life, as we deal with people who are sinners, raise your hand if you're a sinner, by the way. All right, everybody's honest. I'm raising mine too. We're all sinners, right? When you're dealing with sinners, there's going to be some things that's going to get broken. There's going to be, there's going to be offenses that are done. There's going to be sins that are committed. There's going to be lifestyles that people slip into that they shouldn't. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to get broken in this family that we have, all right? And we've got to have a roadmap and a pathway of how to repair those broken people, of how to repair those broken relationships. Well, just like a doctor sets a bone, God has given us a very clear pathway of how to restore fellowship, uh, fellowship with our fellow believers and also of how to encourage them to restore their fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, God doesn't want us to live in turmoil. God doesn't want us to live in chaos. God wants this church to be unified. He wants us to be healthy. And he wants us not to just pretend like conflict doesn't happen. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people, they, they, they deal with conflict like this. They just ignore it. And they just push it under the rug. Well, I'm telling you, there is going to be a big disaster awaiting you in the future if that's how you deal with conflict. The Bible tells us very clearly how to deal with conflict, and we go to the person. We deal with the issue with them face-to-face. -face. And that's how God has ordained that fellowship be restored in the church. Now, we are not called to go to people in a judgmental spirit. 
We're not called to address someone's sinful lifestyle in a way that portrays that we're somehow better than they are. Did you hear what the Bible said there in uh, the second part of verse 1? Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Because we have that inclination and that desire sometimes to portray ourselves as somehow being better. I look at, you know, I may look at someone and say, I would never do that. Let me tell you what, you're one step away from doing that exact same thing. You look at someone's marriage and you say, man, I, how in the world are they not have? how are they really going to split up? Can you believe they're going to bust up that marriage? My, our marriage is too strong for that. Hey, you better be careful. You better watch out. Hey, it's by the grace of God that we, that I'm not in the gutter this morning. It's by the grace of God that I'm not addicted to drugs this morning. It's by the grace of God that I've got a healthy marriage. It's by the grace of God and him alone. It's not us. So when we're dealing with conflict and we're wanting to restore people to their relationship with Christ and their relationship with their fellow believers, we must go in a way that is gentle. We must go in a way that is loving. We must go in a way that is truthful about the sin and the harmfulness of the sin, but at the same time realizing and being aware that we could be in their shoes any day now, at any moment. And it is important that we deal with it in that way. If we don't, then we're going to fall and we're going to stumble into temptation. That's the proper way to reset and to help that broken relationship and that broken person. Now, it talks about someone who is spiritual. This spiritual person in verse 1, it says, uh, overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restore such a person. Well, some people might say, I don't identify you know, as really a, a spiritual person. I mean, I go to church, I know Christ, but I wouldn't say I'm spiritual. Well, let me lay all that to rest because I want to help you understand what that means there. Someone who is spiritual is, number one, they know Jesus is their Savior, and number two, they're walking with Jesus. You may have been saved for two weeks. You may have been saved for 50 years. If you're doing those two things, if you've been saved and you're walking with Jesus, you're a spiritual person, and therefore, in the church family, have the responsibility to love your brothers and sisters enough to go to them whenever they need to be corrected, to go to them in love whenever they're living in sin and say, you know what, brother or sister, you're going to hurt yourself doing this. This isn't good for you, and I care about you, and I don't want to see you go down this road. Would you, would you turn from that? Would you, would you repent and turn from that? That's what God has called us to do. And listen, you don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to have been saved for 25 years. If you know Jesus and you're a member of this church, that's one of your responsibilities. But you got to do it in love. If you don't do it in love, you're going to make a big mess. If you do it out of arrogance, you're going to make a big mess. And then guess who's going to have to clean it up? Ben. You guys are going to call me and say, Ben, we need some help. I, did, I made a boo-boo. Okay? So, so let's, let's prevent that, and let's do it out of love, and let's do it out of humility. In Matthew chapter 18, and Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20 are a gift that God has given the church. And you need to acquaint yourself with these verses. Because if, if you come to me or another one of our elders or, or another one of the leadership of our church and you say, you know, so-and-so's been doing this or so-and-so's been doing that or I have a concern about this, the first thing that we are going to say or the first thing we should say is this, have you spoken with them? Have you gone to them first? Because we're not going to get involved until you have done that, until you have achieved that first step. It says in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. 
If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Now, I want to stop right there. Gentile and tax collector back then would have been associated with lost people, ungodly people, people who don't know Christ, people who did not grow up in a understanding the Bible, people who uh, get dishonest gain, take advantage of other people. And what they're saying is, it's not that you, we're going to shame that person, not that we're going to, uh, you know, kind of cast them out and never talk to them again. What that means is, is that if someone has been gone to one-on-one and asked for, for them to repent of their sinfulness or ask them to reconcile an offense that they've made against someone and they refuse... And then that person takes two or three witnesses and asks them to do it again, and they refuse. And then the church asks them to do that, and they refuse. The Bible is saying that because of their failure to repent, they have exhibited the fact that they don't know Christ. Because a believer would have, at some point in that process, said, you know what, you're right, and I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive me, brothers and sisters. But someone who doesn't know Christ is not going to do that. They're not going to have the ability to forgive or to, to repent. They're not going to have the ability to apologize. And they're not going to do that. So what it's saying is at that point, once you treat them as though they're a Gentile a tax collector, they're no longer a member of the church, but you are keeping your relationship with them because you want to win them to Jesus. Now it's a matter of evangelism. Now it's a matter of I'm trying to win them to Jesus so that they can be saved. And that's what that means right there. So it's never about shunning. It's never about kicking people out of the church. Church discipline, when you hear that word, sometimes people, all these warning signs go off in, in their minds. They're like, I don't like that word. I mean, they're just trying to kick people out and judge people. No, it's essentially about restoration. And that's why there's three steps to the process. There's three chances for that individual to repent and be restored to the fellowship of the church and their fellowship with Jesus. And if they refuse each time, they're still not being shunned, but they're just being treated as though they don't know Christ. And now you want to win them to Jesus so they can know him as their Savior. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Here it's talking about being bound and loosed. He's saying that this pathway to restoration in Matthew chapter 18 is so holy and so ordained by God that if we go about conflict and we go about addressing sin in our church family, according to Matthew chapter 18, that the decisions that our church body makes in that process will be as though the decision was made in heaven. That whatever we bind here in this fellowship, going by that process in Matthew 18, and we do it according to God's word, that it is so holy and such a, a perfect way to address conflict that God will honor it even in heaven. And it will be as though it's bound in heaven and bound in here. Whatever's loosed here will be loosed in heaven. And that's what that's talking about. That's why that process must be at the forefront of our relationships here at church. That's why we need to ingrain that into the culture of our church where it doesn't need to be just a constant thing where, have you gone to the other person? Have you gone? It ought to be so reactionary that we know that's what we're supposed to do as believers, and we do it. Do you know how much conflict uh, would lessen in our church family if we would address situations that way? Do you know how much less gossip would happen if we would address things like that in our fellowship? Because I'm telling you, gossip is a problem. Gossip is a problem at Pole Creek. 
You know, there, there's so many ways to communicate now that people find ways to gossip and poke and prod. And, and they want to inflame a situation in this dramatic way with all these other people. And the very last one that ever finds out about it is the one they should have gone to to begin with. And they step back and they're like, well, I don't know why they're so upset. What do you mean? The whole church knew about it before they did. You, you know, everyone else knew that you had done something wrong. And you know what I found out a lot of times? is that when somebody feels like somebody did something against them, when they finally do bring it to that individual, that person didn't even know, didn't even realize they offended them. It was a complete just mistake. It was something they didn't even mean to do. And if they had gone to them to begin with, guess what? They could have mended that relationship and gone on and prevented all that other stuff from being a part. It's a beautiful system, and it's a holy system, and it's a system straight from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what, if Jesus says we ought to handle conflict like this, we ought to handle conflict just like that. No other way. We don't need Dr. Phil. We don't need Oprah. We don't need Judge Judy. All right? We don't need any of those folks to handle our conflicts. We can handle them right here because Jesus' way is always the best. And then it goes on down. It talks about this bearing each other's burdens. Now, if we're a church that deals with conflict the way I mentioned, and we have healthy relationships in our church, now we're strong enough. We're a family that people can lean on now. And we're a family that can help carry other people's burdens because we're, we're, we're healthy in a way that we're dealing with our issues and we're dealing with things according to God. Well, Hannah and I, as some of you know, have a Chevy Suburban. It's, a, it's an older Chevy Suburban, but man, I'm telling you, I think a Chevy Suburban is the best vehicle ever made. And here's why. Because they're indestructible. If my four kids can't tear it up, ain't nobody gonna tear it up. Okay, they ought to put that thing in Afghanistan but, and, put, and put a gun on it because it, it ain't going to damage it all. I, I've always told Hannah, if you get in a wreck in the Suburban, I just feel bad for the person you hit or who hits you, you know, because you're going to be fine and safe. But anyways, these things have so much room in them. We've got to have it. We've got four kids. And even a minivan, there's not as much room as a Suburban. But anyways, what my kids like to do is, is when we go places, they want to take a toy, right? So they take a toy and, and we go wherever. And then we come home. And they don't take the toy in the house. It stays in the car. Well, about a month later, there's so many toys in the floor and in the back of the car and in the cup holders that you can't hardly move in that thing. And there's been times I've found rotten apples in the back of the car. I've probably found French fries that are a year old. Not rotten, but they're a year old. And it's like me and Hannah saying, and Hannah primarily, that's her primary vehicle, Help us carry the burden, kids. Hey, it's, it's easy. When we get home, we kill the engine, everybody grab a toy and take it in the house. And every time we stop, just take a toy in the house. But they won't do it. And we, we gripe at them and gripe at them, and they're just you know, looking up at the sky like they don't hear it and don't know what's going on. We just need somebody to help us carry the burden, right? And it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> we'll deal with you later. <laughs> But, but we, we, need, we need help with that burden. Well, in the same way in this life, we carry things that are so heavy, we carry things that are so difficult that we can't carry it on our own. And we really do need people to come alongside of us and help us. We need people who are willing to hold us accountable. There's some addictions that people are facing or there are some sin, sinful temptations that people are dealing with that if left to themselves, they're never gonna get victory over it. 
and they need someone to lean on. They need someone to come alongside of them and help them carry that burden. Someone that doesn't mind to text them a couple times a week and say, how you doing? Give them a call and say, is there anything that you need? Um, have you been faithful this week? Have you, have you messed up this week? Can I pray for you about something? People who are willing to hold each other accountable. And that's what it means to be a family that people can lean on. That's what it means to help carry each other's burdens. There's times where people are experiencing grief. They've lost a loved one. And it's unimaginable grief, grief that many of us could ever understand, and it's too heavy for them to bear. They need somebody to come alongside of them and help them carry that burden. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be that to each other. We want to be a family. We want to be a family that's healthy and a family that is strong enough to bear one another's burdens. If we're all always in the pit and if we're all always in turmoil and chaos, none of us are ever going to be strong enough to help someone else when they're in need. And I promise you there's going to come a day when you're that person, when you need that family to lean on. And let me tell you what, what you invest in this church now in other lives is going to benefit you later on. And we don't do it because of that. But I'm telling you, if you want to be a part of a healthy church, then you've got to put that work in. And it's the most fulfilling work you can ever do when you invest in the lives of other people. We go on down there, and it says in the last part of verse 2, when you carry one another's burdens, it says, in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is this law of Christ? In other words, when I pour myself out for others, when I help others carry their burdens, when I love on other people and I allow them to lean on me, I am fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 say this, do not owe anyone anything, except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Wow. Loving your neighbor. That's what it all comes down to is loving each other. Loving your brothers and sisters enough to tell them when they're stepping into sin. Loving your brothers and sisters enough to come alongside of them and help them carry their burdens. Loving your brothers and sisters enough that when you do approach them, that you don't approach them with arrogance or the idea that you could do better, but the idea that we are all sinners, that we are all saved by the grace of God. And God's grace is what's going to keep us in, in, in a life that is fulfilled, in a life that is godly, and in a life that's full of joy. And outside of God's grace, we can have none of those things. Today, we need to be that church. And as we look at 2023, as we look at being a church that is going to intentionally draw this community in, that's going to intentionally go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come into God's house, we've got to be a healthy church internally so that when that happens, we're ready to help carry burdens. We're ready to love on other people. We're ready to address conflict and sin in a godly way. So allow Matthew 18, allow Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, allow that to be ingrained in your minds this year because I believe that God has a great, great purpose and great things are to come this year. Let's pray.